Hello, I'm Laura Serrant and welcome to my podcast, Speaking for Ourselves. This is one in a series of these podcasts. Speaking for Ourselves is about listening to the voices and the stories of the people who influence us. Speaking to Ourselves is also about listening to our own stories and our own voices and the importance of being heard. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Tamu Petra Brown, who I'm very excited because I'm here I am in the cold of England, and she is residing in the beautiful sun-kissed island of St. Kitts. Welcome, Tamu, and lovely to speak to you today. Well, thank you for having me, Laura. I am excited. I am pleased that I am not there in the cold and I am, <laughs> I bet you are <laughs> yes, I am in sunny St. Kitts and we have bright weather and I have a bright smile being here with you today well I feel your sunshine and energy through the screen and you know the listeners can't see you but I can see the glow of sunshine whereas I have artificial light trying to keep me warm here <laughs> Well, I'm, the other reason I'm excited, uh, Tamu, is because you are my first international cross-timeline um, podcast guest. Everybody's been in the same time zone as me, so this is very exciting. So let's hope the technology is on our side today, is on our yeah. side today. So let's start off then. I mean, I obviously met you a few years ago when I visited um, St. Kitts, um, but for the listeners, who is Tammy Petra Brown? Well, you know, I describe myself as an edupreneur. And the oh. reason I do that is because, you know, I really began my foray into entrepreneurship through education. So I was a lecturer, um, a senior lecturer, and I, my disciplines were management, entrepreneurship, tech, that sort of thing. And then I began moseying into entrepreneurship. And so what I found is that I work really at the intersection of education and entrepreneurship. Mm. And even in my entrepreneurial ventures, I found that I've always veered towards things that are training, coaching, teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I've melded the two to say I am an edupreneur because they are my two loves, education and entrepreneurship. That is fabulous. That's really fabulous. Now, some people may not be familiar with entrepreneurship and what it's actually about. And I know, you know, once we get into definitions, there's always a, a question of whose definition do we go to? But as we are speaking to you, I'll ask you from, in, from your point of view, what, how would you describe entrepreneurship? I think entrepreneurship is the creation of something of value that others want to purchase. That's what I think entrepreneurship is. And so if you do that, if you apply your skills in that realm, I consider you an entrepreneur. Oh, right. Oh, fabulous. So, so we might have many of us who are entrepreneurs and don't actually yeah. recognize ourselves as such. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting, thinking about it, that's an interesting point. Is it, in your experience of working with many entrepreneurs, and I know hopefully we'll hear a bit more about the range of, of people that you, that you work with, do they always know that they're entrepreneurs? No, they don't. Um, 
you know, sometimes they, you know, I find, especially in the Caribbean, entrepreneur is a term that is new. So mm -hmm. in the Caribbean, we really are referring to ourselves as small business owners or not even in such a formal term. Mm -hmm. We're saying, oh, we have a little side hustle. We have a little thing on the side. Yes. And so the, the, the word entrepreneur and entrepreneurship, those words are just now moving into the nomenclature of society. It's not something that we considered. And I think it's because as Caribbean people and especially as Caribbean women and black women in particular, you've always had to do something on the side, yes. right? In order yes. to make those ends meet and give your children the lives that you want them to have and the experiences. And so we do not validate our worth. And I think entrepreneurship is a term that helps you to validate that. So we've always been creators. We've always been exchanging mm -hmm. um, what we create for, for money and for other services, even through bartering, etc. But it's not something that was culturally recognized. It's just yes. beginning to deep in. And I think that's a really critical point because it's while it's a new word, as you say, in in kind of in use or growing in use within within the Caribbean. Um, it's interesting because I'm thinking back to my mother and even stories from my grandparents and, and, and the ancestors. And they always had, particularly the women, as you say, a little side hustle, a little something to make, a little extra or whatever. And yet it was very much described as the normal, the norm. And, and it's interesting to hear you say that the more normal it appears to us, the less we necessarily value it as, a, yes. as an endeavor. Yes, yes, certainly. Yeah. And so we all, you know, if you, especially if you're from Caribbean background, like you said, you always had the grandmother who did this. You always had the mother who did something else. And so it's almost like um, your tradition and your, your, your rite of passage. So you now become, um, because of lots of socioeconomic reasons, um, for instance, we tend to be full of single-headed maternal homes. And so yes. there's always never enough. And so you had to become what we now term an entrepreneur to have a better quality of life. So how did you come to this place? How did you come to the place where um, entrepreneurship, which, as you've said, is something that is steeped in our shared and individual histories? How did you come to the space where that became part of your business venture and your way of of uh, doing your own side hustle? Yes, um, from solving problems. So when I was a lecturer, I realized that the adult students, they never stayed the course. I would mm -hmm. say almost 80 to 90% of them never finished the program of study because mm -hmm. they would have to come in in the classrooms with the six formers they became, you know, annoyed with their childish ways. Yes. Then they also have their own family obligations. And like mm -hmm. I mentioned, many of them don't have the help of a support system of a male in the home. Or even if there is a male in the home, they're not necessarily that supportive with childcare, etc. And so 
you know, I was like, there must be a better way. This was around 2009, 10. And I began experimenting with online classes for yes. adult learners mm -hmm. who had had their education cut short. And then um, my students, they would not buy the books, the required textbooks, because they were hundreds of dollars. Yes. And they seemed to contain to them a lot of extraneous material. And yes. they were like, oh, Ms. Brown, you know, I can't afford this and we only use a third of the chapter. And so I began writing my own study guides wow, that aligned yes. with the A-level syllabus. And so I really came to entrepreneurship out of a place of solving the problems that I saw um, in front of me in the space and the context that I was in. And then I began, entrepreneurship was a new syllabus that um, was introduced in my uh, organization and I began teaching that and just fell in love with that. And then I moved into doctoral work with technology entrepreneurship. And mm -hmm. so as my ventures, my, my interest and love for entrepreneurship grew in an academic way, so did the nature of my ventures, etc. Right, okay. And, and as you're speaking, one of the things that it's reminded me of is is a book that I've I read when I was relatively young, but I've read over and over again, uh, The Women's Room. And in The Women's Room, there is the, the, the kind of famous, often repeated phrase, the personal is political. Um, and it, what that tells us about is that if we think about politics or the political angle as distribution of resources, as opposed to political parties endeavors. If we think about politics being the distribution of resources, then when you think particularly about um, entrepreneurs and as you described the women and the mature students, that actually what was happening to them personally, their everyday experience, was actually about distribution of resources. That was the yeah. point. So the personal is political very much what, the, what we know about ourselves and what we hear about in our communities is actually the political message that, that we're living in. And that's really what struck me when you were talking about coming out of the endeavor of what you saw in the, in the everyday. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's interesting for me because I've also worked with mature learners and, and had very similar um, experiences to you. What is it? Could you what do what is it about mature learners in that in that space that struck or inspired you to actually want to work and do some work to support and to help them develop? Well, most of them were versions of myself had I not had the opportunity to complete my education. So they were women. They were at that time, um, I was in my 30s. So they were in their 30s and 40s. They were mothers like myself. Mm -hmm. And I just put myself in their shoes. And I saw that women just like me, they were trying to make a better life for their families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, solving that problem was not really that difficult. It's just that no one had thought it maybe important enough or valuable enough to solve in the space. And so that's what it was. It was the mirror, right? Yes. It was yes. the mirror. Mm -hmm. So I was really looking into a mirror yes. and the empathy um, was huge for me. And I could see how much they, because obviously you want to do better if you're sitting at 30 something years old in a class with 17 year olds. 
It takes yes. a lot of humility and it takes a lot of drive to do something like that. And, and, and a lot of great, courage. Yes. A great yes. deal of courage. Yes. And yes. so I, I admired them. I felt for them and I could see quite easily how had I not had the opportunities I had or made the choices that I did, how I could have been in their same shoes. Yes. So very much the personal story driving, yeah. driving that as well. So what, how, what was the biggest challenges you faced in making that shift then to, towards um, being an edupreneur yourself? Well, interestingly enough, the biggest challenges were my own maternal needs roles. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. So as a mother and a divorced mother, I too face the difficult um, decisions of balancing being a mother, helping with homework and trying to get the venture off of the ground in yes. terms of uh, the, the uptake or the traction. At first, it was really slow. Even though they wanted it, they didn't understand tech. Right. And so because I am a tech type person, I focus a lot on the technology aspect, you know, that learning management system, yes. everything mm -hmm. looking sleek, but they were intimidated by that tech because it's yes. not something that they were used to. And so I pivoted quickly and moved to email classes, right. which was right. really just easy for them. It comes into their inbox, they have it, they can review Everyone is familiar with email. Not everyone is familiar with logging mm -hmm. in, logging out. And because they were busy as well, having that notification that you have an email, it's much easier to keep abreast than having to log in, you know, yes. using your, right, your, your own, you know, memory, wondering when to log in, how to log in. It just became too complicated for them. And so I began streamlining that. So those were the two major challenges. My own obligations as a parent yes. of two children and the fact that I had chosen a platform that was not intuitive to the people that I was intending to serve. A, a really, a really good business lesson, that really, yeah. at, that, at that point. Um, yeah. and, and our ability to flex and to change and to adapt to the people we're speaking to or who the people who are seeking our services is absolutely key in, in that area. Um, I'm just thinking about what you were saying about, you know, you saw yourselves within the, the, the women particularly that, that you met. How were you as a younger self? How was the younger Tamu? <laughs> well, the You're smiling. Man, <laughs> I, I might be ashamed to say. <laughs> the younger Tamu was maybe, I'm a very frank person. The older Tamu is very frank and the younger Tamu was even franker. <laughs> um, <laughs> the younger Tamu was very driven to, I always wanted to be the best at everything. Mm -hmm. Always. My entire life I've been like that. I'm just now learning to manage that. Mm -hmm. um, I, the younger Tamu always felt that the, that there are problems to be solved in our societies mm -hmm. and yes. communities, although there are global opportunities. 
And so the younger Tamu coming out of master's programs, I turned down opportunities in the US mm -hmm. to return home. And there yes. was always this pull to home for the younger Tamu while the, old, the older Tamu is now looking more outwards. Okay. So your, your journey, your, your own journey of self has had that internal view and internal reflexivity and now has the external drive yes. okay so it, it, it's do you tell your story as part of your edupreneurship you know um with the online academy i do not but now that i work with female entrepreneurs in the caribbean to help them build high growth and scalable businesses I do, because I realize that people see where you are in your journey and think that they are failing. And yes. so I think it's important to say, I did not get here. I have, I have put on programs and um, launched courses and no one has signed up, you know, <laughs> yes. I, didn't get here. I didn't get here by, you know, this isn't how I popped out of the box. No. And so do tell my story. I do um, talk about how I understand the difficulty of, of, of running a business and trying to grow a real scalable international um, oriented venture mm -hmm. in the context of what it means to be a Caribbean woman and mm -hmm. a Caribbean mother. Yes. So I, I do. Yes, you, you interestingly remind me of a, an earlier podcast that I did uh, with uh, Dr. Delroy Hall a few, a few uh, uh, episodes ago, and he talked very much about you, can, you see the glory, but you don't always hear the story uh, that goes before that. And, and that's what struck me there when you were, you, were, you were talking. So what then, you said there's been a change and you said you, you've said the reasons for telling your story is much more about the need to help um, your clients see that you didn't just land here no one knocked on your door and just said here have one of these you know it, it, but <laughs> that it's been a long long journey in relation to that so as you are now how many years is it now that you've been working in your own business well I began the online academy in 2012 and I began coaching by Tamu in 20 well in earnest I started muddling around with it in 2016 mm -hmm. but 2019 I began coaching by Tamu in earnest in what I would call a real business model yes yes and what and now now where are you in the stage of the business now how is the business located at this point for uh coaching by Tamu which for some reason I pour more of my energy into because <laughs> it's I think it's because there's a much more personal touch. The business model of the online academy, it's much more automated. Mm -hmm. um, we experience a lull with the online academy because of COVID. And yeah. so relaunching in the Easter. But coaching by Tamu, I'm in the growth stage now. Um, okay. quick, quick growth, quick to growth stage, thinking I only began that in earnest in 2019. The brand is solid, particularly um, on ground here and in the region. And so it's doing really well. And I really, I really just enjoy it. 
Great. That sounds like it's really, really exciting. And and you you mentioned, um, you know, COVID-19. I don't think we can pass anything without mentioning COVID-19. And we all know, you know, it's been a truly global pandemic and it's it's crossed uh, continents and impacted um, on different communities differently. One of the things that we see certainly here in, in, in the UK is the way it's impacted, particularly on in terms of inequalities, on uh, pe the people who are poorer, on uh, people of different genders, on different locations, on women and, if and, and on black people as well. So I'm interested to see that, uh, to understand how in a majority black country as you are in say kids, is how it's impacted on the women and the, the entrepreneurs that you, that you work with? Yeah, so the entrepreneurs were, are, are struggling. They are struggling um, because there's just less personal disposable income. Mm -hmm. um, however, what you will find is that I think there's a term known as the lipstick effect. We are going <laughs> yes. Those entrepreneurs in the beauty industry, they continue to thrive as wow. people yeah, still seek out self-care. It could be a commentary on maybe priorities. It could be, but that's a whole sociocultural discourse. Um, and you find that, you know, like anywhere, everywhere else in the world, they are struggling, particularly micro-entrepreneurs. And yeah. anyone that was associated with the tourism industry, because that was non-existent for mm -hmm. almost a year and yes. a half, and we're now just rebounding with crews, but most likely that will get pulled um, quickly. And so I've been talking about exporting, exporting one's services and exporting one's goods. It is much more difficult to export goods because of the logistical challenges and the yes. capital required. But yes. for service entrepreneurs, I'm talking to them about leveraging their networks outside of the domestic space yes. in order to apply their services across border and do so using the technology like Zoom, et cetera, that is mm -hmm. much more feasible because others' economies are doing better and there are entities, if not individuals, who can purchase your services. Yeah. Do you find, you've, met, you've mentioned a couple of times about the kind of, um, as opposed to social and gendered discourse for women in the Caribbean. Do you find that, the, um, that that has impacted the way in which people are enab enabled or women are enabled to um, link with the idea of their own entrepreneurship and the idea of accessing and, as you say, um, optimizing their businesses? That's a really interesting question because I often tell people, at least in think it's a nevis, we do not have a gender equity issue. Mm -hmm. Women are, you know, there, there are no perceived nor visible structural, visible yes. structural <laughs> impediments to women in business. However, I believe that the mindset piece and the self-efficacy piece Yes, those are the elements that we are struggling with. And I believe it is because of the obligations we have, the pre predominantly 
matriarchal homes, which yes. limit our abilities to grow big businesses. So we do not see models of women in big businesses, owning big companies. And so that, you know, helps to strangle your ability to view yourself as a high growth entrepreneur. So even though women, um, unlike the research, when you do a lot of um, look at the global research, mm -hmm. there's a lot written about women feeling and not just feeling, the, the data is showing that they receive less financing, they um, receive less entrepreneurship education, they perceive that there are these structural yeah. inequities. Mm -hmm. The perception is not the same here. However, your the, the outcome is. Yes. And, and that is really, really interesting. I'm just thinking, you know, sitting in a space where um, there, there certainly isn't the, the external gender equity in yeah. that sense, but there still exists that internal voice, that internal measure of worth worthiness, yeah. right and responsibility that affect the way um, we feel the spaces we feel we should occupy. Yes. Um, it's just reminding me of, I mean, one of the of, of the kind of the core thing that goes through the podcast that I do, which is about the idea about hearing the silence and, and actually the unspoken parts and what happens between the data and behind the data that actually links to people's lives. So do you think to an extent it's the internal it's what women tell themselves in that space or are able to tell themselves that makes a real impact to them. I do, because on the face of it, um, well, if we look at the corporate world or even the public sector, our women are at the top of everything, right? Mm -hmm. yes. so they're the heads of the largest indigenous bands. They um, occupy the secretary of trade, national security. All of these positions, they've never been any gender inequity. However, in the entrepreneurial space, I do believe, and my experience has shown me from engaging with women, that they don't believe they can do big business. Yeah. They just don't. And they cite, most of the times, they cite the fact that they are averse to risk when it yes. comes to capital. And I can attest to that because... You're thinking, well, you know, as business does, there are failures along the way. And yes. what will happen to the feeding of my family, my children? I cannot afford, I do not have the luxury of putting yes. my family's well-being at risk in order to have this idea, which is what they think it is, an idea of a woman-run big business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They, it, it, it's almost that as you say, that coming together of the personal and the professional and how the personal voice, especially when it relates to your children and family, is always to some extent the stronger, the stronger yes. voice that, yes. that occurs in that in that space. One of the things that I do ask my um, uh, podcast guests to think about is about almost that that story they tell themselves for themselves kind of thing and how much that in the silences, when we are by ourselves and we reflect on our day, our week, our month, our life course, then there are stories and the voices and sounds we hear from our, ourselves. So if I was to ask you, Tammy, to stop and to think a little, what is your voice saying to you at the moment? 
My voice is saying to me that I am tired and it's too hard. That's what my <laughs> yes. voice is saying. I am tired and it's too hard. So I am tired of breaking through the status quo. I am tired of and trying to empower women who do not see themselves in the high growth story. Yes. And you know, I'm 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 feeling like I'm tired. And I think that when you do this type of work where you see how what you do really impacts lives because it brings money, which helps lives. I think that eventually you begin to feel like a martyr mm -hmm. and not like a business person. <laughs> because there are a lot of sacrifices that have to go into your, your own pricing model yes. in the region in order to bring forth that vision that I have where I really want to move women to million dollars in revenue. Yes. And so my voice is saying, yeah, I'm tired. And when you listen to your voice, what do you tell yourself? I tell myself, I might be tired, but I can't quit. I just need to pivot. I need to shift the way in which I am attacking the problem that I see that needs to be solved. Okay. Okay. That is, that is a really uh, kind of strong sentence. It's, it really hit me because I, we also have periods of tiredness. It's the emotional labor of yes. the work that we do. And just, uh, I am tired, but I can't quit. I just need to pivot. And I think that is, you know, I, I got a sense then of a, a almost like a, a, a ballet dancer who turns on the spot, retains her poise, and just faces a different direction. And yeah, that is that analogy. Yes, that is that's what I saw for you there in that in that moment. <laughs> it, it's it's really a heartfelt story that you're telling, both for yourself and for the women that you work with. Um, can I ask you then, thinking about um, your, your younger self that you described to us earlier, what would you say to your younger self now? I would say to my younger self that I should have been more patient. I would say that I should have seized opportunities instead of submitting to the pull that said, no, you should go home. There are, there are problems to be solved there. I think I would have been more equipped to solve those problems had I had a more diverse set of experiences initially. So do you feel that you should have taken the risk? I do because I was younger. I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have maternal obligations. I did. And if it didn't work, I could have pivoted. But I think that I was much more risk averse, which is interesting, much more risk averse, averse then than I am 
now it is really and that's really interesting considering you have more to risk now yes yes but now i have had the benefit of knowing myself and understanding that i can invent and create my way out of most anything i didn't know that then no absolutely and i think that's probably a key message to the entrepreneurs that you meet as an edrupreneur so yeah. i think that is a that is a really key thing then so i mean we've been talking quite a while and i've, I've really really enjoyed the conversation we've had but one of the things i'm interested in i'm going to give you the the little challenge that i give to all my guests what i want to know three words three separate words that you would use to describe yourself at this stage in your life and why well, one, the first thing that comes to mind is unafraid. Mm-hmm. So I'm unafraid now um, for the reasons I, I outlined before, because now I understand that I have what it takes to meet challenges, exceed challenges. And even if I fail along the way, I can learn, pick up, move on. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't bruise my ego. So I'm now unafraid. I guess I'm also a little more unafraid now because one daughter is through, one child is through university, graduated, and the other is pursuing his own entrepreneurial um, ambitions. So the obligations aren't as heavy. And so I think unafraid. I believe hopeful. I, Mm -hmm. I am hopeful because I'm always looking at the horizon and expecting that I can be a, a voice um, to transform the way that people think, both in education yes. and entrepreneurship in mm-hmm. the Caribbean. I think that uh, strategic comes to mind, yes. that I am extraordinarily strategic now, and it aligns with the fact that I. I'm now more patient than I was before because strategy takes time and the fruition of the strategy takes time. Excellent. So you are unafraid. You are hopeful. Yes. And you're strategic. Yes. Absolutely. Three things that come to mind, certainly in younger and older Tamu, risk or no risk, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's been a real pleasure to speak to you, a real pleasure to um, even hear the the Caribbean coming to me through the microphone, if not through the heat (laughs) and the light, as the the light is fading here in the UK at the the same time. So how can people contact you if they want to avail themselves of your services, make contact with you to hear a bit about you, or just perhaps want to even like me make a little link to the sunshine? (laughs) <laughs> where will we find the edupreneur that is tamu petra brown so the edupreneur the education part of me is at tamubrown.com so that p-a-m-u brown with an e uh, dot com the entrepreneurship part of me is at tamucoaching.com and you can reach out to me. Um, the easiest way is tamucoaching at gmail.com. That's the easiest way. And my Instagram is coaching by Tamu. Fabulous. Well, 
what can I say? It's been an absolute pleasure. And I think the, the words I'm taking away with me from you, I feel I've been gifted with that ah. little idea that you may be tired, but you can you just need to pivot. I think I like we'll leave that. it there. I like that too. Thank you, Tamu, and have a lovely day. Thank you. Same to you, Laura. Thank you. I'm Laura Serrett, and you have been listening to my podcast, Speaking for Ourselves. We all have a voice and we all have stories to tell. But if we don't use our own voices and tell our own stories, others will speak for us. And at best, they will mistell our stories. And at worst, they will render us silent. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.